Hello, welcome to Dustbusters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and all of the Dark Materials books and all of the Philip Pullman stories from the worlds of dust are some of my favourites ever. And I'm Louisa Maycock. Jake and I have been together for almost a decade, and yet I've never read a single one of these books. And this is what happened when we travelled to the town of Series 2, Episode 6, a town called Malice. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the penultimate episode of the series. Uh, Although, as we've said before, it wasn't planned to be. There is that missing Lord Asriel-focused episode that was half-shot, and one day, hopefully, we will see. Uh, And there's been a lot to get us up to this point if you've been listening along to the podcast, I'm, I'm sure you're up to speed, but just in case, uh, Louis, what happened last time? Before we get into this, I just want to offer a disclaimer to our listeners in case we seem a bit loopy in this episode. Um, our, our puppy, Peggy, woke up to start the day this morning at, uh, what time was it, Jake? 3.50am? Yep, yep. Um, And this is something of a tradition on this podcast, apparently, because it was on the penultimate episode last year uh, that we recorded the day that I had flown back from Japan. Oh, Uh, and you were very (laughs) jet-lagged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so apologies in advance, yes, for any strangeness that would come from tiredness in this one. I just feel like I'm slowly melting into a blob. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I assume that means that we've got a a, a very well-remembered and researched recap of episode five. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Last week, the episode was was called The Scholar which of course was Mrs Coulter, who had travelled into our world and met Mary. And she uh, told Mary that she was her mum, etc. She told Mary that <laughs> she was her mum. <laughs> oh dear. She told Mary that she was Lyra's mother and they spoke about things. Uh, the magisterium, some stuff happened. Uh, they, he arrested someone asked the alethiometer man where Mrs Coulter was Will and Lyra broke into Boreal's house Lyra had a Barney with Mrs Coulter they jumped through a window mm. yes. that was probably my worst one yet I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> well, and you mentioned Mary briefly she was also oh I've missed them a massive part she had some sort of huge breakthrough with her cave and it spoke to her and told her that she was to be the serpent she had a big important job to do she had to uh, come up against some angels and then it shut itself down and then she walked through the window she walked through the window (laughs) okay Um, so let's jump in now then let's jump through our own window I'm going to jump through the window right now. (laughs) This is Series 2, Episode 6, Malice. So, well, we we just mentioned Mary Malone. Uh, Let's start with Mary Mary Malone, shall we? Um, Because what we've got here is 
not from the subtle knife because Mary's story in the subtle knife ends with the message and the start of her adventure in a way um so everything here in this episode with Mary is all beyond the book into Amber Spyglass territory which is very exciting um, we encounter her on the steps in Chittagatse. She's using her I Ching sticks, which was the ancient Chinese divination. Um, she's using them to kind of guide her along her way with her I Ching book. She's got her hiking boots on. Yep, it's a hiking boots heavy episode, really. Um, th- this made me miss like proper university book research, where you've got your two texts and you're comparing them. And you're really trying to get deep into what it means, <laughs> and it and it's also the first time that we kind of because we didn't see it with Fra Pavel in the Magisterium, a grown-up kind of attempting alethiometer type research, which is totally interpretive and expressive, whilst also being very kind of rigorously theoretic from a scientific perspective as well. It's a mm-hmm. very very strange way of approaching predicting the future and trying to treat it with both the sense of the ethereal and the analytical Uh, and Mary's best suited to that considering she was both a nun and a scientist so she's in Chittagatse and she's not being bothered by any spectres it's actually quite nice just because we haven't travelled this year it's like just seeing sightseeing yeah it's like we're just seeing Simone Kirby on holiday She's she's just walking around a nice Mediterranean town. You almost expect her to have a um, I think Americans call them a bum, a bum bag, but we call them fanny packs. Other way round, we call them bum bags. No, Ameri- we don't. Yeah, we do. Do we? Yeah, Americans call them fanny packs. <laughs> we we call them bum bags. I call them fanny packs. Well, no, it's a bum bag. They don't go on your bum. I know. They go on your fanny. I know, but it's the wrong way around. Okay. <laughs> So there's only a handful of Mary moments in this one. You get a lot of bang for your buck. You really do. In her exploration, she heads down to the beach and we see something behind her. It's an angel. That is right. Um, It's an angel. And in the very kind of Pullman-esque way of an angel, it's not what you expect it to be. Just like you don't expect a polar bear to have its soul in some (laughs) armour and for it to talk. So... I don't know how much we'll get into angels within the Dark Materials verse and how much we'll get in series three, but as we learned through the cave, the angels are made of dust. And what's the thing about dust? We can't see it. <laughs> so we just kind of get this almost glass like figure. But I think it's almost like water. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like a like a translucent shadow um but the higher ranking angels would be slightly visible as kind of beings of light pure light so that's what we're we're getting here so that's why we can slightly see this um they would be human like and with wings in terms of their form so if you actually do want to get an idea of what they look like you can look through all of the previous episodes we've just watched and look at the bottom of the tower because those angels there would be the reflection of these angels here. And there, there is a conversation that uh, happens in the book. Mary is talking through the cave to the angels and she 
because she is a nun and has her biblical knowledge, references St. Augustine. And this kind of gets to the root of how we might use the word angel in relation to these creatures. And it's perhaps not in the more traditional sense that we might think of them. And the quote is, Angel is the name of their office, not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it is angel. From what they are, spirit. From what they do, angel. So it's more like a rank than it is their name of what they are. They would refer to themselves as Bene Elim, which, like my name Jacob, is Hebrew, uh, and it stems from sons of God. You may also encounter referrals to them as the Watchers, but all of these would be this version of what an angel is. Are they all interchangeable in names? Yeah, they... Fit in with the theme of no one having just one name. That uh, that description you just read from the book, it made me think of... um, William Blake, who famously uh, saw angels quite regularly, I think the first time was on Peckham Rye when you were walking. I'm sure anyone who's visited Peckham Rye can relate. Um, but yes, he, he would see angels on a regular basis and they informed his, his work and his, his thought processes. And yes, he I think he described it as beings of light. Well, it's interesting you bring up Blake um, because Blake wrote a poem, Milton, which is whose hero is John Milton, who, of course, wrote Paradise Lost. Yes. And Paradise Lost um, is is the basis of a lot of his dark materials. And in fact, uh, his dark materials can be interpreted as a, a retelling of it. And that whilst we, and we'll get into this in this episode, this sense of drawing people towards sin and that there would be Satan in Paradise Lost. And we have here our own serpent drawing people towards temptation and if people want to go and find paradise lost online and look at all the parallels between that and his dark materials you'll have a you'll have a long read but you'll have a good time <laughs> now, as well as this angel there are other beings in chitagatse that are not interacting with mary the specters they aren't attacking her and so when she bumps into the kids that are still running wild in the city Angelica and co they're a bit confused because this is a grown up who isn't scared, who isn't being attacked Um, and she did something that we saw her do earlier in the series which is treating some kids to a chocolate bar even though it's a a bit more well she promises that it's full of sugar Um, I think earlier on it was a granola bar I remember these things, I remember my life in food what's a naughty granola bar? Well, the thing is, most granola bars are full of sugar, but mm. they're dressed up to be the healthy option. So, you, uh, really, you'd want to just be like, here's a lion bar. Just have a flapjack. Right. Yeah. Could just make a homemade flapjack and mm. put in some nuts and fruit and stuff. At least it's not got nasties in. Mm. And this was a nice moment with, those, with these kids, because I suppose for us as viewers, they've been presented as almost antagonists to Will and Lyra. Yeah. And we haven't got much characterization out of them. And it's almost in a single interaction, they suddenly become fully realized as characters. As one of them just says to Mary, the first grown up that they've seen in a long time, she asks her for a hug. <laughs> and just 
asks for that void of authority yeah. to be filled. She says that you can make us have baths and do all these things. Tell that us to up. do stuff. Yeah. Um, That's what I want you to do <laughs> for me. <laughs> I basically just want you to tell me to do stuff so I don't have to make the decision myself to do stuff. Louis, you need to have a bath after this. <laughs> Thanks. So those are a few Mary scenes in this one. Um, we also get a little bit of magisterium action. Uh, so Fra Parvel, as we learned last week, he was tasked with reading the alethiometer. Um, and it's quite a funny scene, this. Uh, not for the characters, but for us as viewers, because it's very kind of heightened Orwellian double-think type conversation where he's read the alethiometer, has interpreted it, but what it has said would be heresy. And so <laughs> there's this back and forth with MacPhail, which is around like... Well, it's told me something that's heresy, but I can't say it because it would be heresy. But it's not you that said it. It's the alethiometer that said it. Okay, but if I say it, will you promise that it's not heresy? <laughs> um, even if I say it, but then it's against the authority. Oh, I don't know. Um, but ultimately, what it has said is that the alethiometer has revealed that Lyra has another name. And this is one that prophesies a downfall of everything that the Magisterium holds dear. And uh, that they will ultimately go to war to kill Lyra. Because she will be tempted by the serpent. Who is the serpent? Mary. So this is must be very strange to kind of piece all this together that you've got this enormous kind of international governmental body going to war because this random scientist from our world is somehow a representation of a serpent that is going to tempt Lyra in some way and that is the fate of everything I'm guessing Mary's going to tempt her with knowledge well, going back to Paradise Lost, yeah, that when we go back to original sin, it's that temptation uh, to to eat the apple, to have that knowledge. Um, and whilst in traditional Christianity, though original sin is is bad, Pullman, perhaps not the biggest fan of Christianity, might have a different view on uh, original sin and its merits <laughs> or demerits. <laughs> Now, quickly jumping, much like the Magisterium airships, through the anomaly, let's check in with Lee and Joparry. Um, this is some pretty pivotal Sutton Life stuff. These guys are almost get the most screen time, and screen time, page time <laughs> in that book. Um, and they've suddenly got the dynamic that we've kind of been waiting for. Uh, they they feel like a little double act and they've got their own contained story and their contained chemistry. Well, were they completely absent from last week's episode? Yes. So this year, I feel like they were putting in some real time. Yeah, and Lin-Manuel Miranda, he is al- he's allowed to be funny here. He, he is naturally funny, and but it's it's not grating in any way. He just says about Joe Parry that he has a got a strange way about you <laughs> which is absolutely true um because Joe Parry is an odd man who's 
despite the fact that they're flying through the sky and it's bad weather and wind uh, and he's just got his hoodie on just chilling <laughs> um, it's not a hoodie no it probably has a proper name it probably does cloak yes um, but he kind of reminds me of something that you get annoyed about Louis when someone's a bit too chill in an argument and like you're you're waiting for like you want someone to just do something and Lee is there like please acknowledge all this madness that is happening and Japari's just are you saying there. that I am Lee I'm Scoresby Lee and you are Japari and yeah. I'm just willing for you to give me a reaction that I feel warrant you know the situation warrants mm. and you're just there speaking in hushed tones with yeah. your man bun and your cloak <laughs> absolutely um, the uh, the sitting room where we record is our metaphorical balloon, <laughs> balloon. <laughs> we're trapped um, so they are talking about the knife of course when don't they talk about this bloody knife <laughs> um so it still hasn't quite twigged the the link between the knife bearer and Japari. You think Japari would, you know, as he can hear the whispers on the hear wind, hear the whispers in the wind, know the future. Yeah, it would have he would have cottoned on to the fact uh, that it's his son. But maybe it is the disconnect between father and son. Maybe that thought is just too crazy that he has, yeah. wouldn't even consider it. How long ago did he leave? Oh, Will when, and he, his when he was baby. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't really know him. Really, that's yeah. interesting. Um, so they're just repeating what we know. The bearer of the knife is really important. Lee, because he is one track mind, protect Lyra. He's clarifying this knife is going to protect Lyra. Chaparri's one step further. It's not just going to protect Lyra. It's going to protect Everyone. all of us. Um, and we get a bit more intel on his demon, who I mean. We, I know there was a lot of press made out of oh it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge is his demon she's literally said one line yeah um, <laughs> but it was a nice line um, so he explained that he got that demon when he went through into Lyra's world and so now now that the knife is in play and people are bouncing between worlds all the time I think that that whole idea that the demon is created when you go through it opens up a world of possibilities about does that mean will's gonna get a demon well we've got does it really, happen instantly we we shall see how how the series is approaches. there a birth or does is it just well um thinking about how the tv show has done it when demons die they kind of just dissolve exactly so i wonder whether it would be a bit like that whether you would go through the window and then it would do it so i was just thinking if it it could have been that when a baby is born, the mother also gives birth to the demon. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Is the demon inside the womb? Yeah. Hmm. We're both extremely tired. <laughs> <laughs> so up in the balloon, they have some good banter because Lee wants a cup of coffee and asks to have some fire magicked up and. Joparry makes a face like he's going to do that and then just hands him a box of matches. <laughs> Good. Very dad joke, because he is a dad. Yeah. Um, and and overall, I just, I just like seeing these guys together. And I'm excited that we just got, albeit, albeit briefly, just this moment of 
the two lads having a nice time um and yeah i said earlier in this podcast series that the subtle knife is is arguably lee's book and it feels like it's grown into that and lee as a character has grown into that responsibility of of holding this amount of plot on his shoulders am i allowed to say that i find lin-manuel miranda really annoying a lot of people do yeah do you find that um he's just big he is in terms of his comedy and the way he acts it's Mm. it's not subtle is it so in the golden compass the film um Lee is played by Sam Elliott, yeah. who you would know as Bradley Cooper's brother in A Star Is Born. Oh, so with he's the big, more of a thick mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but much older and certainly kind of weathered. Yeah. And uh, Lin Manuel is more fresh faced, I suppose. And annoying. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he's annoying. But then I, I'm a Hamilton fan, so I've just get got used to his voice in my head all the time. I think it's because my natural reaction to musicals is to be uncomfortable yeah and, and even I though find... he's not exactly doing musical numbers here it's just that you, association could, if lee suddenly burst into a musical number you wouldn't be surprised so he exudes musical theater energy yeah and that's that's sort of the absolute antithesis of my character and what i find comfortable yeah. when i'm around theatrical people i tend to want to go inside myself and disappear Sorry to anyone who likes musical theatre. <laughs> hey, you liked uh, the Book of Mormon. Yeah, that's it. That's the one acceptable musical. Did I like any other musicals? I quite liked Grease when I was a kid. Yeah, but just because I had a friend who had a karaoke machine and we had all the Grease songs on it. <laughs> and that's how the balloon escapade finishes. Uh, Joe Parry and Lee get on the karaoke <laughs> they do grease lightning um and that's it and they ride off into the sunset no they don't um we mentioned earlier that the magisterium flew some airships through the anomaly and lee and your parry encounter them and he unleashes his full shamanness and it it's very exciting isn't it he uh he brings together a lightning storm attacks the airships using the lightning storm even though they're in a balloon which is similarly getting attacked by the lightning uh and then it's not just the lightning storm it's a he summons a flock of birds and uses the birds almost like darts to attack the airships this this is a big action set piece there's a lot happening here it's when you really get a sense that he is part of nature or has some form of rain over it Mm yeah yeah it's it's very good stuff um and this is all kind of self-contained within a particular chapter of the subtle knife all this and then everything that will happen in the next episode as well so cruelly this episode ends just as they're about to crash um but oh this whole chapter in the book is is amazing um and um yeah I, i look forward to seeing how the uh, finale of that moment is handled but they're so close mm. to lyra and will and the witches i know it's almost like they're they're literally on top of them yeah um so let's let's jump to lyra and will and the witches uh so they actually kick off the episode they spy some angels but these angels they say they're going to help asriel so who knows what asriel's up to but he's recruited some angels um 
and they help Will and Lyra escape from the kids who are trying to attack them and they take them into the woods and there's a lot of kind of chat between Lyra and the witches because I kind of forgotten that they have not met yeah I felt like after all this time and everything that happened in series one that at some point they would have had an atta I think the show was using Lyra as a way of telling us about the witches yes um Lyra explains that she's read about the witches and uh very meta line for this particular podcast Serafina says that she finds those books annoying (laughs) I did look at you at that point in when we were watching this episode. Yeah. And you also said these interactions in the woods were very Twilight for you. It reminded me of um, the infamous scene in the first Twilight film when Edward and Bella are in the sort of Pacific Northwest moss-covered woodland area and Bella is confronting Edward about what he is and the camera spins around them. Say it. Vampire, your skin is ice, was it? Your skin is snow white and ice cold. You don't go out in the sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then um, and then Lyra says to Serafina Pecola, you're like my own personal brand of heroin. <laughs> <laughs> so the lion, in, the lion fell in love with the lamb. Is that one of the lines? I think so. Or the... So the lamb fell in love with the lion or the lion fell in love with the lamb? Well, um, a throwback there to Twilight and a throwback further is Lyra's hair. Yeah. She's got the 90s strands of hair going on at the front. Mm. Could have had more curtains everywhere in this show. Bring more all back. Will having curtains, 90s curtains. More scrunchies. Band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Peggy's favourite toy actually is my my hair scrunchie yeah even before this record she even grabbed a scrunchie out of your hair (laughs) (laughs) it was her way of saying come on let your hair down yeah relax um i really really like this forest setting mainly because it reminded me of uh legend of zelda breath of the wild uh which i put uh, 160 hours into earlier this year uh there is a beachside town in that game which immediately brushes up to these kind of cavernous rainforest bits and that feels exactly like the journey we've gone on here and funnily enough uh during one of these scenes we also cut to Joparry and one of his rings is uh four triangles that have been put together to become a bigger triangle which is the logo of the triforce which is within Zelda and is what you'd see on the master sword funny coincidence and also really what will is needing at the beginning of this episode is maybe a hearty radish to recover from his hand wound absolutely in need of a hearty radish um but he doesn't get a hearty radish instead he gets a spell um probably just as good but because uh, obviously a magical wound has to be healed with magic it certainly does louis um so they cast this spell on him and he's just he's lying on the ground having a sleep waiting to see whether his hand is going to get healed because it just keeps on bleeding it seems to have worked because they they get up and uh, they check in with the alethiometer which tells them to go up so they've left Chittagatse they've headed into this valley and they're going up a mountain and although they might read that as go up the mountain you could also interpret it as to 
go up, as in that is where Jopari and Lee are, because they are flying directly above them. You picked out in this episode, Louis, that you think that Will and Lyra are starting to kind of merge their wardrobes a bit or oh, kind yeah. of pair themselves together. I noticed, especially in this episode, that they're both wearing a sort of similar shade of blue, mm. which is a sort of cool toned teal blue. And it sort of made me think that maybe they're going to become, you know, like two sides of the knife. Oh, right, yeah. To make one. Mm. Is that what sides of knives do? Well, there's, if you think about a knife, there's one side and there's the other side. Uh, that's Making true. the whole knife. Yeah, and you couldn't have one without, without the, other. the other. That's very, very true. I mean, the metaphor was a bit galaxy brain. But... I mean, I think his art materials as a whole and I'm sure Philip Pullman would perhaps agree that some of the metaphors are a bit galaxy brain and uh, as we do on this podcast theorise about what all of these different things could mean um, I mean we spent a significant portion of a episode talking about Yonic and phallic imagery and <laughs> dedicated more, the majority of that one so we must get away from topics such as that though because there's just some innocent, kind of thoughtful friendship happening. Will is told that he needs to protect Lyra. Lyra is told that she needs to protect Will. The witches are told they need to protect Lyra. Yep. And Will, you know what he does? He protects everyone. Because this pack that's running up the mountain, uh, they get attacked by some spectres. So it, it really is a lot of protection going on. Oh, yeah. Almost yeah. sort of like a human centipede of protection uh, <laughs> I was I'm I wasn't going for that I thought you were going to say like because we were talking about original sin and the act of that and how it would be good to use protection no no, <laughs> no I went the other side of that you what to the human centipede yeah. <laughs> the na- I went to where the natural mind takes you yes and again yeah, I'm sure Philip Pullman thought that as well. It's <laughs> a lot of people having tasks to protect one another, and then that person has to protect the other one. Yeah, it, it, and they've they've all got side quests aplenty. I mean, this feels like perhaps your horror film viewing and your playing of The Witcher that's been going on in the background, which is I've never a, seen The Human Centipede. Uh, it's clearly part of your mental lexicon. Well, it's a cultural reference point yeah and combine that with the time that you spent with Geralt of Riviera and all of his seemingly endless levels of quests and to protect people I, I can tell this this really had an impact on you Louis um, but yes they do get attacked by spectres and Will protects them because of the knife because they're scared of it but tell you who they are not scared of Mrs Coulter they should be yeah they should be exactly right Louis Let's go to Mrs. Coulter and Lord Boreal. We last saw them heading through the window into Chittagatse. Outfit change? Hey? I just... I, I didn't think they would do this. Right. But they put... They've put her in a safari. Her safari outfit. Mm. Because, you know, she's travelling... She's travelling between worlds. She needs to look as though she's going to, know, go on safari and maybe go and shoot an elephant or something. I wouldn't put it past Mrs. Coulter to be a game hunter. Yeah. She just likes the safari 
Aesthetic? Aesthetic. But you're saying that she'd also like the, the hunting side of it. <laughs> oh, no, As well she as would. the aesthetic. Yes. But more of a sort of on safari rather than middle America. Right. Okay. Right. I'm that, glad we've, that kind of we've hunting. put that to bed. Yes. Um, but what kind of what kind of game? Like no endangered species? Oh, no endangered. She would go for the endangered. Don't you think? <laughs> like tigers elephant she'd be all up there for the ivory and this is a character who not in in last week's episode you said you were starting to really empathize with she throws me off course so many times yeah Um, yeah this time i think she would enjoy the hunt she would enjoy and then would enjoy having a trophy of some sort of extinct animal and yeah, it's it's all in the it's in the long game, isn't it? It's in the waiting and the waiting and the hunting. She'd definitely have a snowy leopard rug. Oh yeah. That she would luxuriate on of yeah. an evening. And we'll get to it in a bit, but she, she gets her kill as well. Yeah. Um Shh, that's a spoiler. <laughs> if people are listening to this, I'm sure they've probably seen it. Because, um, well, it's Lord Boreal and he's got a new outfit as well and he looks straight out of him and an M&S catalogue. I thought it was an outfit you would wear. Yeah, I'm a bit M&S, that's for sure. Um, no, it was Cool Dad. Well, Cool Dad's shop at M&S. It was very much the part of London we live in. Mm. I when don't know about the out... combat trousers. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah? I think, I can't remember when it was, but combat trousers came back into fashion. Right, I must have missed that. You know when it was more about practical fashion oh yeah i mean he looks he's pretty practical he's got a good jumper he's got combat trousers he's got a sturdy pair of boots and he's got a very good looking rucksack i think he's got he's wearing a collarless shirt Mm. with a shacket over it Mm. bang up to date yeah good look trend um i i'd find it quite disorienting to see him in a backpack though what's in his backpack yeah exactly Boreal doing a an OG YouTube video of what's in my bag. <laughs> what would be in his bag? Oh, what would be in his bag? Um, I reckon he's... His list of people he doesn't like. Yeah. <laughs> his black book. Lyra. Um, <laughs> I reckon he's packed pyjamas. I feel like he's the kind of guy that wants to get changed into other clothes in the evening. He he's wouldn't. got a toothbrush because he's thinking maybe he'll get lucky with Mrs. Coulter. Yes, yes, he certainly does. Bluetooth speaker? Yeah. To keep playing yep. his, his sweet playlist? <laughs> you know what he's got in there? What? <laughs> a can of Huel. <laughs> oh, he's so Huel. Yeah. Yes, he's definitely a Huel guy. If people don't know what Huel is, it's a um, sort of meal replacement shake, but they yeah. also do bars. But it's very that's on that going back to the granola bars Huel is like that's a sad one isn't it but Huel is like oh I'm, I'm a, I've got to start up business and I'm too busy to eat food so I'm just going to have this Huel yeah yeah it's like a Silicon Valley cereal bar yeah, I've got no time to eat an actual meal so I'm just going to down this flavourless stuff milk shake <laughs> thick drink um, well they maybe the spectered man that they encounter needs some fuel <laughs> because he, he's <laughs> he not looking protein. good um, so that they encounter a, a poor chap that's been zombified and uh, it spooks them a little bit they go back inside they see the spectres coming out and Mrs Coulter oh this is such a good scene yeah this, like from here on out to the end of this is amazing um, Boreal pathetic 
pathetic. Runs Instantly away. runs, runs behind his... Mrs. Coulter. Yeah, I would in... also like to talk about what the spectres actually look like because right. I feel like this scene you really get a close up of them mm. and a lot of them yeah. they flock to her. Yes, and they are in between water and smoke in yeah. terms of. I can't. I put it down as an eel mixed with a lightning storm. I think smoke and water they've got a sort of liquidy oh yeah for sure but between the, the, e- between the elements but there is a physicality to them yeah like they don't feel totally um vapor yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh, almost plasma maybe they're the fourth element um they 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 look really really cool but also metallic in mm. a way like they've got weight oil yeah there's you a know lot of... the color of oil mm. yeah they're, they're a really good design for something that, when you are reading the book, is written in such a way that you can't really envisage Imagine. what they look like. And also Ruth Wilson's um, performance. Because obviously she's acting to nothing. Mm. But you really see her interacting with the spectres. Yeah, and she commands them. Um, and they kind of get into how. And she says that she's through suppressing herself. And it we see the golden monkey at this point. And made me think of something that made me think of something that we've kind of theorized on this show about the possible severance between her and the golden monkey because the golden monkey seems like what are you doing yeah <laughs> are you mad but if she can separate from the golden monkey which we've seen her do then thinking about how the spectres feed on dust and souls and what are demons exactly so maybe that is something that helps her control the spectres because they were definitely they were attracted to her Mm, they were it was sort of yeah they flocked to her yeah maybe they can just sense that don't you don't mess with mrs coulter yeah and what does she do pops a bottle Let's celebrate. celebrate. <laughs> um, Boreal comes out of his box uh, where he's been hiding away Boreal's inside like, the yes, shop. Get in. Yeah, uh, he thinks he's he's in now. This this scene made me so nostalgic for summer aperitivos. Yeah, just sitting in uh, golden hour. Ooh, a little plaza in some south of France town. <sighs> Lovely stuff. Uh, the the horniness is back. Boreal thinks that th- this is his moment now. We've been we've been dancing around it all series, and I don't like how often you've said the word horny in this whole podcast series. Well, blame Jack Thorne and his co-writers <laughs> because they're the ones putting it in. Um, Boreal finally lands a kiss from Mrs. Coulter, and then what happens next? Dead dead absolutely it made me think do you think mrs coulter you know like poison ivy Mm. she can poison people with her kiss Mm. do you think mrs coulter has fabricated some sort of poisonous lipstick yes for sure that she would have in her bag Mm. so she would have sort of james bond-esque tools yeah when in the book it is a vial like it's a classic poisoning yeah but it's not um it's not specifically said here but you could absolutely do. It's almost more fun if it's She's a poison She's more sneaky case. than just a classic. Classic poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, 
I think this final kind of revelation that she's always been in control is maybe one of my favourite scenes of the whole series. Because Boreal's like, oh, now I see you as you are, you're a woman, but also you are my equal. Because... Yeah, because she's powerful. She, He thinks that puts her on his level. As she's like, really? Mate, <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> come on. You've never been on my level. Exactly. Absolutely not equal. He's dead. The snake disappears. Dying right now. Yeah. <laughs> I am dead right now. And on on this podcast, we are we are fans of Lord Boreal's property portfolio. And as he died, <laughs> the first thing Louis <laughs> said to me was, "Who will inherit his property?" <laughs> it's a, it, it will be a deceased estate. It's a it's a good question, yeah, because he's from another world. Like you wonder who's his next of kin. Yeah, has he has he sorted a will in Will's world? <laughs> It's, um, who gets his extensive collection of artifacts? Exactly. Who gets his spacesuit? It's a You'd big... want his spacesuit. I would. I'll take the spacesuit. And then, as we'd expect, she's she's pretty happy about this, Mrs. Coulter. She gets Coulter. on it. She absolutely gets on it. <laughs> Goes back into the shop. By the end of the episode, there are four empty <laughs> bottles on her table, which would kill me. You'd be having your stomach pumped in the hospital I certainly would but I mean she manages through it and uh, I have a question yes if the human gets drunk does Mm. the demon get drunk really yeah cool (laughs) (laughs) awesome Um, and I mean when I have had four bottles of wine I get a bit dizzy maybe have to do a little sick or you've never had four bottles of wine exactly I would I would not, I tell you, be inflicting some kind of flagellative candle routine with my exterior soul. But that's what Mrs. Coulter does with the golden monkey. Uh, so she, like we saw MacPhail do with his lizard, uh, holds his hand over a candle to burn it, to inflict pain on the both of them. And she stares down her golden monkey says strength is salvation remember that yeah it's it's an intense moment um and salvation is very much a kind of loaded biblical term or word um and looking up this particular phrasing in psalms it gets referenced as well but the strength in that and the strength as you will often find it in the bible comes from god and when you look at this scene here she's inflicting the pain and therefore the strength herself. So Mrs. Coulter is placing herself in the God role within if you're... I think Mrs. Coulter's definitely got a God complex. Oh, for sure, yeah. Or we should say authority complex. Uh, And her relationship with the authority will get more complex (laughs) as we go on. And that's everything that happened in Series 2, Episode 6. Overall, Louis, how do you feel about this one? I feel good about this one. I feel like we're in a good good place for the final episode. I felt like it was building up momentum. Almost felt like a breath in mm. before an exhale. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think we, like, it's really strengthened in the back half of this series. And let's hope that it sticks the landing next week. Um I suppose it's a similar feeling to the book because 
with the book you get thrown into Will's world there's so much to adjust to and once you have adjusted to all of this new landscape that's about halfway through (laughs) and then it's the momentum that drives you through it because now that you've figured out all of these new characters and what they can do and how you cut between worlds and all of this stuff you just plow through it is it is also the shortest book it's one that you could read in a day if you wanted to um and i'm really excited that with mary and who knows what happens next week we're already getting some amber spyglass stuff in very very good stuff um do you have any predictions louis which is always a hard thing to do in his dark materials I predict that we're going to have a Will meets his dad moment scene. Mm-hmm. If not, I will be upset. Mm-hmm. What else do I predict? I predict Mrs. Coulter's going to go full goth. Goth? Yep. <laughs> she's just going to start listening to The Cure. And no, doing she's going to go, um, you know when Tobey Maguire goes emo Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That would be a, a real change. Yeah. But I would. I would love to see that. I predict that Will's going to get a demon. Have, is any of this real? Oh, I'm never going to say, Anna. Will you tell me off, off mic? I'll tell you when it happens in the episode. Other than that, throw it on me. Exactly. Okay, so we should move on, as we say, to the most important part of every episode. Let's find out what Peggy is this week. This week, Peggy is a beaver why is she a beaver well firstly twofold number one beavers are known for being very good at chewing tromping she is really the teething is still 100% going (laughs) she's chewed a corner of our kitchen table that I've noticed which must happen when she's on your lap because it's your corner of the table and you should not be letting her do that what do we do when she's chewing something she's not supposed to put her on the floor no tell her to stop no she Uh. doesn't understand english (laughs) you replace it with a chew toy or a toy she's allowed to chew okay okay what do we do when she's biting our ankles distract her with a chew toy okay um, it's all about distraction. Yeah, um, unfortunately, unlike a beaver, this is not in the way of kind of natural progress. She's not, she's not building a dam in the hallway. She's just wanting to bite, and I think it's a beaver for another reason as well. Well, beavers are nocturnal mostly, and I'm really hoping that we don't speak this into existence, and we're not manifesting this because. Last night, I hope, was a one-off. Because if she starts waking up at before 4am to start the day, what are we going to do? Well, I suppose we will find out next week and uh, whether we're even more deranged. (laughs) Well, that's about it from us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to keep up with us on social media, you can do. Uh, First and foremost is Peggy. She's on Instagram. She is... Peggy is at Peggy underscore the Jack. You can find me on Instagram at Louisa Florence or Twitter at Louisa Maycock. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham as well. Next week, we will be talking about the finale of series two. And I apologise in advance for my pronunciation now and throughout that episode as we discuss 
Asahetra? Asahetra. Asahetra. Dustbusters is produced by Jake Cunningham. Our music is by Dan Yakano and our artwork is by Sam Mason. <laughs>